Uh, today, we're going to wrap around the concept of defunding big tech and refunding community, which is really inspired from a paper that a colleague or former colleague and current friend, Andrew Clement, wrote, uh, which looks at this idea of defunding big tech and refunding community. And it recognizes, as I jump through different scenes here, it recognizes that from a policy perspective, the idea of taxing big tech or regulating big tech was previously forbidden, but is now in fashion. And it's not only in fashion, but it's an opportunity to rethink our digital lives, to rethink the internet as we know it from a political perspective, an economic perspective, a cultural perspective. You know, this week, the big headlines are about Australia, who are potentially passing legislation that would force digital media companies to compensate the news industry for when their articles or items appear on their platforms. But it's really just the first salvo in a larger policy negotiation or policy process to not just hold these big uh, tech companies accountable, but talk about what to do with the money. Talk about what to do with the revenue they generate. What should go to the public interest? What should be divvied up to private industry? You know, what areas of society should benefit from that money? So we thought we'd get together to really riff and brainstorm and just essentially jam on the phrase uh, uh, defund big tech refund community. What does it mean? What could it mean? Mm. You know, what should we anticipate? So today we've got our good friend, Vasiliki Bednar, and our other good friend, Gregory Meister, a.k.a. Stro One. Uh, both of you, I think, have really relevant and interesting overlap in terms of your professional backgrounds and your personal interests. So why don't we just start with, you know, what does the phrase, you know, defund big tech refund community mean to you? Like, what does it evoke? And, and what do you see as the opportunity, both from a policy perspective, but also just from an old school political perspective in terms of the three of us here on our soapbox kind of hypothesizing what we think the future uh, of social media should be? Well, from a policy perspective, I, I wonder and worry about us presenting taxes as something that are consistently punitive, right? It's like, big tech got to some kind of big tipping point that now we're going to penalize them with a tax and like tax as a transaction is, you know, first of all, very legitimizing for businesses and also should be part of the environment that they operate in. So we've struggled with these, you know, we've struggled with digital entities just because the way we, our tax regimes may be predicated on, you know, a company having physical assets in a particular region in order to, you know, prompt prompt the, the tax or the compliance. So I don't want to be too wonky. That's already a little bit wonky, but, you know, it we're presenting this as government, um, you know, flexing, but really it's government catching up, uh, tying, tying shoes while they're running. And the race started yesterday. So um, I love the connections to, to refunding community. I'm looking forward to chatting about that. That's just my quick reaction to you know, this long overdue fumbling uh, of taxing large uh, technology companies. Sorry, Stro, I jumped right. No, 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 no. Stro no, no, no. one. 
it's it's it is a it's a big topic because I, I think it's actually the the topic of the the century in a way because our political system and how we got here is you know hundreds of year of years of uh capitalism in a way right where it, all, it, all that wealth and control has go, gone back up to the top where it's just a handful of um monoliths i think as what, what was written in that article that that you shared um you know have complete control so really it comes back down to the people it yeah. comes back to bringing back to democracy in a way and, and the communities like the people that are in the communities not and and the diaspora that comes with that not just the, the big money controlling everything including our government right like it's it's these companies have uh like the the googles and the um you know the facebook's they have more control than our governments and they have more control over people than our governments. Well, so, Ed, sorry, I'll let you finish. Yeah, and, you know, so really it comes back down to who controls the culture and shouldn't the people be in control of the culture because it is about the people, not about the capital. Well, and, and I think you hit it on the nose and, and that's, you know, to be blunt, the meta view is government going to be able to keep doing what government does or as Vass pointed out, because they're so late to the game, do they also risk demonstrating their obsolescence because they might try to regulate these giants and fail in doing so? And and I think Stro, you also your point about money is what I is my problem with the news industry, right? Mm -hmm. Like here you have this industry that failed to innovate, that made really bad business choices, and they're now saying effectively bail us out. Because the other guys won. Because the other guys beat us at their game. Now, I think that they're... Op I'm open to the argument that the other guys, Google, Facebook, didn't play fair. And that they broke competitive laws. That means that there, there should be some remedy or there should be some action. But Vass, I also... you What I started to think about when you described you know, the government tying up their shoelaces as they're running is this notion of policy theater. Right. That this yeah. is an exercise in policy theater in which the government wants to look like they're doing something. And the big tech companies want to look as if they're being responsible and they're listening to society. But in the end, nothing's changing. Right. In the end, you know, the digital giants maintain their power. Governments are losing their agency, losing their ability to respond. And we as the public aren't really being served by either. Well, it's also a reminder that we policymakers lack a toolkit for the digital age, right? We're grasping at what do we have? Like, what can we use? It's almost like, yeah, you say theater. Think of the policy theater as there's like a tickle trunk and the tickle <laughs> trunk is the policy, is the toolkit, right? And we're in the tickle trunk and we're like, ah, you know, I've got this. I think it fits, it's a tax, let's do it. So um, I'm being a little facetious, but you know, taxing say taxing you know facebook that doesn't create the algorithmic accountability we're looking for that doesn't change mis and disinformation um the relationship with news media of course is worthy of interrogation you know so much more about it than me um but you also know that i recently pointed to a particular pantomime with ticket resale bots i'm trying not to say scalper bots but that's how they're you know recognized where there was an inciting incident and we scrambled and we passed legislation and it has a cool acronym and it just, it doesn't even do anything. Um, and we need to be, I hope mindful of reminding ourselves as policy people, we do make efforts to regulate technology. And the question is, 
you know, are we good at it? And if we're good at it, then great, let's, let's be more ambitious and bigger. Last thing I'll say, since you're letting me ramble, which is very generous, um, the big tech agenda, you know, being set federally is one part of this, I wanna say puzzle, I guess I should say play, but um, you know, I really question where the provinces are. So you wanna talk about big tech, let's talk about labor and time and algorithmic ma manipulation that's been happening for so long and has come to characterize low wage service work. And we have nothing in our labor legislation to protect people from basically being treated like robots. Um, to my mind, that's part of taking on big tech because it's a response to the future of work and how technology is changing work. And again, it's so disappointing. We don't even talk about it. You know, like we're still talking about future of work as if it's on the horizon. Are the robots coming? Are they taking our jobs? The robots are here and they're manipulating people's jobs and people are getting injuries. It's just mental health. Maybe we'll come back to that later. Maybe it should be a whole other salon. Ramble over, Bass on mute. Hey, um, I, go ahead, sorry, Stro. Go ahead. Um, no, no. Yeah, so I was, no, it's, it is manifold, right? Like to me, it's so complex. It is a theater and there's, and it is a puzzle and it's a puzzle and a theater. And, and, and it's in the dimensions like, cause it's from healthcare to work, to, um, to, to community, right? And, and where is that, like, it's so fragmented, but yet here are these monoliths that have so much control of it. It's how do, how do we connect it all so that it, it, it is, it works for everybody. Right? Mm -hmm. Well, and, and I, I, you know, Vass, your point about the multi-jurisdictional nature ties to Stroh's point about the complexity of it all. Because, yes. you know, I'm increasingly seeing, you know, these types of opinion pieces and analytical pieces that just say everything's too complex. And, and we're trying to, you know, pigeonhole. We're trying to, like, fit the, the square peg into the cir circle hole mm. rather than acknowledging, you know, maybe the tickle trunk doesn't have the tools we need yeah. right now. Because, yeah. Vast, your point about how it's not just federal governments, it's not just provincial or state-based, it's municipal, too. Right. Really? And, and all three, we are expecting to have proficiencies and capabilities that they just don't got. And, you know, how do we create that on ramp? How do we foster that? You know, how do we try to get up to speed? I mean, one, maybe create a new specialized master of public policy in digital society. <laughs> no, but legit plug, legit, legit plug. I think, I think, um, you know, inviting people to think out loud and in the open together is a powerful way to build capacity. Um, these are no one person, no one department, no one order of government. So, you know, we were chatting before the live stream just about uh, having opportunities to think out loud and on your feet and participate in conversations. That's powerful. I think that's one way. Um, and yeah, maybe, maybe it ends up starting with those conversations. I mean, Earlier, I had a catch-up session with my, my public policy mentor, and she said, you know what, there are no slam dunks left. And I had to go write it down in like my journal. And she's like, this is the other problem right now with policy is like, there just aren't slam dunks. So everything, she's like, they've been slammed, which is really funny for her to say, because she's uh, in her 70s. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Yes, recognizing the complexity is there, but I also, I hate reading op-eds that are like, and government needs to just like step in. It's like, we are missing it. And, or, or the idea, right? That government, that it's always a penalty. 
right? And that government, it's not about an empowering environment that like more innovation can happen, right? There's roles for government with payment modernization and open banking that will create new accountabilities in different regimes, but it's not about, again, penalizing companies just because they're of a certain size. Well, and, and Strobe, I mean, I know you have a point, but I, I want to throw you a curveball, Strobe, to, to tag onto it. Yeah. You, you had the privilege of being part of the city TV culture at the tail end of the Moses Nimer era. And I'd love to hear you sort of describe that a bit. But then what I want you to do is imagine what government would be like mm. if it had that same kind of playful culture. Right. So um, it, it was a wonderful place. Like I chose to, you know, I had kind of a carte blanche to go and try to go for my placement anywhere I wanted to go. And at that time, this was the late nineties. It was still a family run business. And, and, you know, Moses had sold the business off, but he was still executive producer, but he, there was a philosophy behind, behind it being the environment. Like we talked about where it it's it kind of mimics what's going on with reality TV now and mm -hmm. internet shows or whatever. There's a freedom and it didn't matter how diverse, how out there you were, as long as the product went to air and it was genuine, I think that that was the kind of the, the thing behind it. Right. And it was a wonderful place to, to come up in broadcasting and a place to work. And I still have, uh, you know, uh, friends that I made there, uh, long after, uh, because they're just good people. And then corporate got it right. Mm -hmm. I went through the transition, I actually ended up, uh, landing on the Rogers side. Cause there was the, the whole CRTC where you couldn't own too much news. Like it mattered because, you know, working in the newsroom, all the like 98%, if it didn't bleed, it was sold news, <laughs> you know, like that's how it works. Right. Like it's pitched. All of it is PR, P like every story there it's being pitched unless somebody got shot or stabbed or there's a fire. Like, okay. or, or, it would have to be a big fire, though. Let's be realistic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At least two, three alarms or something, <laughs> right? Or if there, you know, it's it's sad. I fucking hated working in the newsroom, even though I love the people and I love the building because I love. There was also much, and there's also Bravo, and there's space, and all these things. And then I ended up in the newsroom, right? Which was a whole. Other, and I'm like, fuck! I hated the newsroom. Fucking yeah. news sucks. Yeah. Right? Um, so, you know, going through that journey was very, very interesting. And I, sorry, I, I lost my train of thought. What was the second part of the question? Well, How? what if, what, can you imagine taking oh. that culture, taking that attitude? What would government be like right. if it was run by Moses Nyman? I don't know that, that would, it would be, I mean, don't get me wrong. Would, there'd be a lot of sexual assault yeah, lawsuits yeah, yeah, exactly. and, and it issues, be all that, it would, right? But it, like, it, lots of know, scandals. Moses, I, I don't think, yeah, I don't. It would be exactly what the government is like. <laughs> okay, so but 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 what what he allowed people to create, right? So if government was only there for to set the policy, right, and uh, to make it like you. Your community gets to do what it needs to do to, to be well. So just going back to uh, Vasiliki's point of the you know of the tickle trunk. It's yeah. like we're trying we're trying to defuse a bomb with what's in a tickle trunk. We don't have the right tools, right? Because it Alex is Alex and McGruber episode. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> so, give us the right tools, and that means communities get 
what they need. So what the government, what the Moses, what the executive producer, the gov the policymakers need to do is give us the direction, the toolkit, the philosophy behind that, right? Yeah. And so as complex as it is, you don't have to do it with one shot. You do it with a with uh, with the idea that, hey, let's make this sustainable, fair, right? Let's put human rights ahead of property rights yeah. and then work on the wealth of and do that by giving communities what they need so i i agree with you 100 percent. but allow me to, to for play a little bit of devil's advocacy and push back on both of you in terms of stuff that you've said yeah. what if and, and here so stro uh vas and i've been joking lately that we need more larping in politics right we need more like you know live action role playing where you don't just talk about what you believe you just talk about crazy ideas to just get them out there so that's what i'm about to do even though this sounds like something i would totally believe it what if the government of canada went to the digital giants and said we're in a crisis you know there's a pandemic you know people are at home we are going to levy you a one time one billion dollars each and and maybe that's too low but a one-time $1 billion fee each and the entirety of that money is going to go to rural and remote broadband because it's a crisis here in Canada. You know, the digital divide's getting longer. We don't have time to wait. This is just going to be a one-time, thank you very much, charge. You can fight us if you want or you could recognize that this is win-win because all those people are going to sign up for Facebook and all those people are going to use Google as a search. So really, this is just an emergency, an intervention, a crisis. We're calling you to step up, but we're not asking you. We're just informing you and letting you know that we're going to do it. Go ahead and watch me, right? Go ahead and stop me. Thoughts? Yeah, uh, that, that doesn't even seem like far-fetched. Like, that's exactly what needs to happen. What needs to happen is the government needs to get some fortitude and be like, we're actually bigger than any... Like, the reason companies can exist is because we became a country one way or another at some point we're supposed to be have some authority here right and they need to step up and do it for the people that they're supposed to represent because no 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 one interest group should be bigger than the the the, the wealth of all of us so yeah yeah a billion dollars yeah. that's nothing yeah, I, I agree. I was shooting low. Like, I, I was I was think I was thinking you're gonna go somewhere further out, like uh, you know, uh, in this multiverse that we're likely a part of. Uh, and excuse me, because I just watched the farthest. It was the, about this uh, Voyager's, uh, uh, you know, how it's out there out of our solar system. So I'm thinking, <laughs> and the NASA scientists are like, I bet you. Right, I would. I believe the NASA scientists said there is somebody's having this exact same conversation somewhere else right now, yes. like on another, another solar system. And I'm like, what if the government of Canada is actually like, you know, some some aliens running, or they are run by Facebook? I don't know. But, but to it, your point, I think that these policy discussions are happening. Right. I think for them to become plausible, for them to become realistic, they have to happen in many places simultaneously, i.e. behind closed doors in government and out in the public. So that government looks in the public and says, well, they're talking about taxing the big giants. I guess it's yeah. viable. I mean, I think we don't appreciate that many jurisdictions acting in concert fucks with the companies, yeah. right? We, we do a lot of sequential stuff. We have a lot of wait and see in Canada. 
it would be much savvier, you know, in the way that I think people are trying to now coordinate in response to the kind of Facebook Australia stuff. And I shouldn't say fucks with companies. I just mean challenges them more to respond. Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, to that LARPing question, I, I would be, I, I think the companies could easily also, first of all, I'm surprised a large technology company hasn't invested in broadband for Canada because of the profound halo effect and because of the, you know, opportunity. Does that opportunity outweigh the cost? It doesn't, but does the halo effect? Yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. um, two, I would think about licensing those companies if we want to create a new particular category and literally define them by how tech is defined. Um, we're very comfortable with this. Again, point to municipalities. Let's learn from municipalities that have been licensing Airbnb, licensing Uber. I mean, mm -hmm. it seems we, 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 we treat it as something small because it's so hyper-localized, but they've actually, municipalities have been through some shit with tech. Mm -hmm. And we would be remiss to take this federal view and then ignore some of those key lessons. So I would like to see maybe something more akin to a licensing regime that's permissive, that, but ca captures things. Also, you know, we have a sales tax. We have HST that we're not properly enforcing in jurisdictions where we're charging it to digital companies. Mm -hmm. That makes me nervous, right? That gives me anxiety and you know, if we can't get that right, how are we going to get the digital sales tax right? Because I, I don't think we get that many opportunities, actually. I think it's a huge risk in terms of the role of the state in our lives, the state's ability to rein in big tech. And if we, again, quote RuPaul, don't fuck it up. I'm swearing a lot today. But, you know, if we F it up, which I think we can say on Twitch, I don't know. You tell me. Do you have rules on your show? So, no, I, it's interesting you say that because one of uh -oh. our loyal subscribers, BK from uh, St. Albert, Albert, St. Alberts? From north of Edmonton in Alberta. How you doing, BK? Always a pleasure you're here. He uh -oh. was a little thrown off by our swearing, but I want I'm you guys sorry. to swear. Swearing is welcome because it's what you can't do on the CBC. So therefore, it is what you are welcome to do here. No, now, I'll, I'll do a better job. That's the last thing, that's the last thing I'll say because I was rambling a bit. New licensing, okay. define the companies, acknowledge what, why they didn't fit into categories we had before and kind of make it a less opaque regulatory environment instead of just saying, here's a new tax. Now, I do have to quickly say, you realize that if you didn't say you were rambling, nobody would know. Because right. everything you're saying is coherent and intelligent and makes sense. And like sounds like you've been working on this forever. Oh, no. Great. So don't get me wrong. From a comedy perspective, it's gold. You've got great timing. Okay. But no one knows you're rambling. But I want to double down on your licensing point. Because I, I also think that licensing is, is a very low-hanging fruit that speaks to this regulatory capacity we want. But I first want to say that I think the reason that the big tech giants haven't waded into connectivity and broadband is because they tried and failed. Like mm. they had their master plans, right? Google, I think, had the balloons. Facebook had these uh, solar uh, drones. Yeah, so yeah. they both were intending to solve connectivity. Elon Musk, the arch villain, is probably beating them to it. So yeah. I think as they figure that out and come back, they'll get they'll they'll they'll, they'll we're gonna hear something in that file. Mm -hmm. But I I've for a while been championing the idea that every every organization, so individuals are exempt, 
But every organization in Canada that uses an algorithm for any purpose must get a license. That license does not restrict what they can do with the algorithm insofar as the Canadian laws restrict what they can do with it. But it then allows us to know who in the country is using algorithms and what are they doing with it. And I would suggest that that entire registry should be transparent as a research tool and an educational tool so that as Canadians, we could look at all the other Canadians and go, hey, what's everybody doing with their algorithms? Which then allows us to both co-develop because people can start connecting with each other and going, hey, yeah, I'm using that method. Is it working for you? Yeah, it's working for me. But more importantly, the government, to your point, Vass, builds that capacity and builds that ability to, you know, to understand this stuff. Stro? Yeah, so, you know, that's great. That's uh, absolutely everybody. But I think everything is becoming an algorithm. And I think those algorithms are important because it sells you stuff, right? It's It comes back down to where's the money really go? And why is there such a big pool of it held by so few in the communities, right? Like this is what we're going back to defund, defunding big, not just police, but defunding all the big organizations that have this this iron grip on the wellness of the communities and the individuals in them, right? So it, yeah. it really is about stepping up as as the government needs to step up and, and taxing better and spreading the wealth better because there's more than enough money and wealth in the world to sustain us. So, but, but okay. Tax, sorry to interrupt because Go ahead. you're the moderator. You know, back to legitimization, again, paying a tax, great you capture some revenue tax is not necessarily accountability right the companies could still do all of the things we hate and resent and have had trouble holding them to account for so it has to be tax and and we shouldn't be satisfied with just a tax and really if we had other sources of economic growth i'd wonder if we'd be so hot on on the digital tax train so i i agree 100 percent, and i wonder if the tax is the first part of tax and because you need the actual revenue to develop the regulatory capacity. But I'm going to throw out another LARP ball rather than curveball, another LARP pitch. And this is something that came up in the salon, uh, sorry, not the salon, the MetaViews episode we did last week when we first explored this paper. Because, you know, what I was hearing, Stro, in your remarks is, you know, the whole ethic of, you know, tax the rich to feed the poor. Right. That a society should have a progressive tax rate so that people who make more money pay more taxes. Right. And people who have less money maybe don't pay any taxes at all. They get social benefits. Right. That's kind of the the liberal welfare state. So I've been wondering, can we apply that to the attention economy in that the attention economy? Right. If you guys remember the whole long tail idea where only a small amount of people on the platform, whether YouTube, whether Twitch, whether Twitter, get all the attention, get all the tweets, get all the followers. And everybody else is in that long tail where even if you've got 10,000 followers, you're not really that different to someone who has 10 followers compared to the people of 10 million, right? Or, or even more. So what if there was a tax on influencers? Right. What if we recognize that in addition to digital media companies that are, you know, uh, becoming super rich, that there are now influencers 
in the attention economy who are becoming wealthy, literally wealthy, right? Like I think of Logan Paul and Jake Paul as like, you know, two examples of the legacy of the Kardashians, right? The next generation of keeping up with the Kardashians. Should we be taxing them for the mere fact that they're successful at getting attention? And I think that this very much reinforces Vass's point of, does taxation actually foster accountability? If we tax these influencers, would we then alter their behavior and culture, which many people find, you know, destructive, toxic? Again, I'm I'm floating the idea to get your reaction. Are you saying tax on top of the tax they should already pay for their income? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. An additional tax. And I think of it I, like like a tax on smoking, right? I, that we tax cigarettes because there's a negative health effect. We should tax influencers because there's a, a negative health effect. What if it's Sorry, a go positive ahead. influence? Do you give them a kick, then more money? <laughs> like, right? what if they're, because I think, and, and, and again, I, I, it's got to come down to what is, why is money a thing? Right? Like, and I, I know it's, a, it's the meta view, right? But it's, it is like can we please like start making society work so that it it benefits the people yeah. and the environment and you know so that it's a, the ecology works right so if i think you got to go higher up for that you got to go meta for that because the individuals i i, I disagree with uh, with the bureaucracy of that it would take and the cost of taxing the individuals where really if they're on facebook or twitter they should be paying, or, uh, uh, sorry, on Instagram, whatever, right? Whatever the social media is. That Jump right in there. Umbrella right. should do it, should pay the tax. I mean, there are different ways you could tax, right? There are lots of ways where we've overregulated. I think overregulated certain professions that you could look to for, for inspiration with influencers and, you know, say that if you have a certain amount of, ads if you want to place ads maybe that's the threshold of of a certain amount then you have to pay this annual um fee and you agree to some kind of i don't know if it's a code of conduct i mean in the influencer economy i think canada is known for probably best known for exporting like far-right thinkers so i don't know if that's good or bad for us in the taxation space you can also think of other places that that cascades right so you know at some point, I think tax authorities will become more interested in platforms like uh, Substack and whether and how people are reporting that income because they don't have a line of sight. And some some people's knee-jerk reactions will be what we hear already, right? Substack should just charge income tax and like it should charge HST and it should remit for people. And we switch, we, 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 there, there's a pendulum, you know, of the individual being responsible for the tax, which is what I think, uh, and you know, companies because they have a particular line of sight uh, wanting to do that. But you know, ultimately, I do think it's a problem that we have much more stringent rules for charities in this in this country than we do for large technology companies. Yeah. Um, when you think of how you know li the, the scrutiny that we that we offer those you know, very small, very well-intentioned entities, and then how lawless we've we've let large technology become, which is a fascinating and, play. And to your point, it's not just charities, right? I mean, I, yeah. I learned this long ago, that the easiest way to do a social organization is to structure it as a for-profit corporation. You don't right. have to actually make money. 
But from yeah. a bureaucratic overhead perspective, yeah. you know, it's just it's the path of least resistance, right? It's mm -hmm. the and like for example, cooperatives. The bureaucratic overhead mm -hmm. to run a cooperative is so discouraging to cooperatives. Like it just in and of itself says, no, you don't want to do a cooperative unless you have bureaucratic tendencies. Now. Don't get me wrong. There's software that is starting to at least uh, alleviate that or make that a little easier. But I, yeah. I think you, you raise a very important point around the notion of regulatory overhead and whether it becomes a burden, especially for smaller organizations, when it's intended to hold those large organizations accountable, to, to hold large power, period, accountable. But I was also, I'm glad you brought up the notion of companies doing the remit. Because, you know, what? so I'm obviously going through a big Twitch obsession and I'm studying Twitch and I'm yeah. thinking about Twitch and I'm wrapping my head around Twitch. And what's fascinating, what attracts me to Twitch is more than any other creator platform or media platform, it lends itself to monetization. Mm -hmm. All the tools are there for the creator to really encourage their audience to pay and support them. And there's a culture that enables that and facilitates that. But, you know, at, on a basic level, Amazon's getting 50% or more. So it's mm -hmm. remarkable how, you know, the, the casino always wins. That mm -hmm. even though you're encouraged to sort of gamble and try to get attention and hope that you become an influencer and hope that you become, you know, a professional Twitch streamer, fundamentally, whether you win or lose, it's Amazon who gets paid in the end. Mm -hmm. And the extent to which the culture downplays that and emphasizes the role of the streamer and emphasizes the role of the creator so that all the attention goes to them, even if the lion's share of the money's going to Amazon, speaks to this notion of defund big tech and refund community. Stroke? You know what, this reminds me very much of communism, right? Like when I, where, when I the, the reason that was a problem where, is because there was so much central power, right? Like it's 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 no different. It's in the idea of not the the fake idea of the people, but the idea of capital of freedom. There's no freedom when you have so little, uh, so few uh, entities controlling so much what people need, right? So, um, I, so I was, I, the question I was going to ask is: Twitch owned by uh, Amazon? Yes. Um, so so if you know if you think about if we roll this back and look um, at big tech, right? I mean. You know, this gets to your story about Chum and City, right? The way that the media in Canada were bought up by the telecom companies. So the mm -hmm. same thing is happening with big tech, that the way in which Google bought YouTube and YouTube has become a big part of global culture. Well, Amazon has Prime Video. And so Twitch is like the farm leagues, right? It's like the minor leagues, both because all the video on Twitch is invaluable data to train Amazon's algorithms, right? They have people streaming video game content as well as all sorts of content, which is so like, that's, that was why Google bought YouTube was because they needed that content to train their algorithms. They were fine with YouTube losing money forever. And eventually they found advertising as a way to pay for it. So Amazon also sees advertising as a way to pay for Twitch, but there's actually not a lot of ads on Twitch because Amazon is more interested in the data and using the video from Twitch to help train their machine learning algorithms. So just as the telecoms bought media because they thought they needed content, now big tech 
is buying big media because they need the data, mm -hmm. right? To be training their algorithms, to be improving their algorithms. So that's where Twitch is this interesting cross between a media platform and a technology platform. Because the other part about Twitch that I find interesting compared to all the others is it's programmable. Like there's, there's lots of automated channels and there's lots of automated features and automated experiences. So I, I'm, I'm getting off track, but I, I wanted to convey the idea that we're seeing company towns emerge in which the company controls everything, how you get paid, what you do, who pays you. It's more than just being an intermediary. It's yeah. the, the fully vertically integrated mining town or monopoly town, which echoes your concerns, Stro. So I wanna, you know, as we wrap this up, I, I wanna emphasize the refund to community. Yeah. Right? Because I, I think, you know, Vass, your point about, you know, the tax and, or the accountability and, so what is what is the end? What is the carrot? What is the, the, the value proposition that is offered to communities as to why they should get behind these kinds of policies? Like, what are we offering with, you know, my obvious being broadband, right? That, that to, you know, solve the broadband crisis is, is a no-brainer. But what are some other ideas? What are some other ways that you guys think that community could be refunded if we were to defund or at least start to siphon away from the, the vast wealth that big tech has constructed. Mm. Well, you have your hand up. Well, I, I was just gonna say, what, you know, just to comment on what you're saying, Jesse, about Twitch and, and uh, Amazon owning it and, and how they're just changing the advertising. Uh, like, why is the data valuable? Why is the algorithm valuable? Because really it's about selling stuff, right? Like yeah. they just wanna be able to sell stuff. Yeah, and make money selling shit that goes back in the ocean as plastic or whatever. Like, like it's horrible, right? Yeah. So it is totally about by defunding. We don't mean get rid of them and like make them poor. They're always going to be fine because they, right? Like they're going to be better than the fine. It's really about making the communities fine and and sharing that wealth so that you know, like it comes to, for me, it comes back to we can buy more shit off of Amazon if everybody's got money to do it, right? Everybody's got time to enjoy the things and, and have quality things as opposed to just more of that, right? So, Which is the whole argument in favor of the middle class. Right. That by enabling a middle class, that middle class then spends the money that the middle class has that enables more growth and, and sustainability and prosperity. Yeah. Fast? I mean... Part of me is wondering, am I, and if, is my future self ever going to get in trouble for like what I said on your Twitch show, right? But to that future self, I say, you know, look what a good job you did participating in interesting conversations with interesting people. Um, to, to, and then two things. Uh, maybe kind of part two of that digital divide where, you know, solving for the devices and like the literacy that people need. But then there's also a kind of, reciprocity question with a lot of these platforms because you know i think it's back to the pantomime and the illusion just because you have a group or a great petition or a job posting or an apartment available for rent you know doesn't mean that it's able to be really widely seen by people mm -hmm. so i don't know is advertising credits something that different communities need to have i'm not sure i don't actually think so but it's kind of like what should these companies be literally giving or writing off in their bottom line that isn't a shiny thing that's over here like a lot of the mm -hmm. corporate social responsibility 
with tech is either business development or you know we're all having this conversation over here and the company wants to talk to you about this other issue for example airbnb people want to talk about housing affordability and rental rates and airbnb likes to be like a lot of seniors are hosts it's like that's great can you imagine having a conversation two people hey i'm really concerned about rent in my city and and the vacancy rate and then the other person is like thank you a lot of women are hosts. It's like, <laughs> I'm really concerned about, I can't find an apartment. And it's like, some of our hosts are artists. It's like, yeah, great. Like that's all so cool, but it's not the main conversation. But I, I think to go back to something Stroh said earlier, it does speak to a kind of robotic culture that yes. both permeates corporate communications but also individuals like, you know, there are a lot of young men who have similar like, dude, bro, like th they sound like corporate communications because they're that stiff and they're that unresponsive and they're that robotic. So I, I don't want to just slag corporations. I think there are some humans who are also susceptible to such roboticism. But I actually like your point about ad credits and, mm -hmm. and, and the way I would... Uh, legitimize it for lack of a better word or yeah. unpack it so that in the future you know we are able to defend ourselves for this idea that we are birthing <laughs> maybe part of the problem is the framing itself like i have always said facebook should not be allowed to describe facebook because mm. facebook doesn't have the critical distance yeah. like those people aren't my friends they're yeah. my facebook contacts yeah. right and and i think you know if i would love not i don't want to see language police but I would love to see like, you know, the librarian in chief who also gets to hang out with the poet laureate and they get to issue language alerts every once in a while, just reminding people how language works. Because what if I were to take your suggestion and I would roll it back into the attention economy? Yes. Right. That we live in an attention economy and access to that attention should be democratized so that if you want to start a small business in your home, you should have the right to get attention and have people know you do it. If you want to create a YouTube channel or if you want to create a beer hockey league podcast, you should then be able to get attention for it and get promotional credits so that you can promote your product, promote your content, promote your political idea to the people that you want it to reach to. Because that's what Facebook and Google have created as attention marketplaces yeah. that many people regard as public spaces so what if we were to regulate not just the advertising, but the algorithmic visibility, right? What Facebook calls boosts, right? Mm -hmm. And what other platforms call boosts so that yes, as credits, everyone got them. Same way that as a rural homeowner, I get a garbage pass every year, where every year I can go to the local dump and bring the stuff that the, you know, the truck won't pick up. And as a taxpayer, I get one pass a year. If I go twice, I gotta pay. Yeah. So everyone gets a certain amount of ad credits. Everyone gets a certain amount of boost credits or attention credits so that they too can promote their cause, their issue, their business. It's up to them, right? That democratizes and makes it fair. So I agree. I think that's a fantastic example of something that would be easy and would not create bureaucracy, but still helps to refund community. Yeah. Joe, did you want to jump in there? I, I'm just trying to get, that's a wonderful idea. Like, again, I think it's about everybody having 
a level playing field, right? So it's not mm-hmm. skewed. But how would you how would you do that? Like, is it if you sign on? Like, because maybe maybe it would be difficult to do that, right? Like, how do you, without? So, I guess oh. you have to register, right? Like, when you register, you get a certain amount of credits, and for not every, it, also not everyone would redeem them. So it's like not even that. It's not as expensive for the company in terms of not every user is going to going to redeem their. credit. You could also set thresholds like you have to be a member for X amount of time after which you receive this credit. So you could do, there could be, you know, some other kind of threshold that people have to to cross in order to access it. But I I think, again, uh, to to risk hating what I'm about to say in my future, but saying it anyway, because we're LARPing, the one piece we haven't really talked about today that comes up a lot, and I'm flagging it because it's relevant, but I'm also saying, you know, this is a, another future salon or future discussion, is how does this connect to literacy? And mm-hmm. should literacy be not just a requirement, but a responsibility, right? And the analogy here that I've, and, and I, I'm going to give another disclaimer, I don't necessarily agree with what I'm about to say, but this is something that I've seen come up in this discussion for decades, literally, you know, the idea of having a license to use the internet, right? That if you want a driver's license in society, you, yeah. you, you have to take an exam. Ideally, you're incentivized to take driver training. You have to get an insurance policy so that if you do something bad to other people, you know, it's covered. Is it ludicrous to suggest that maybe the internet should have certain tiers that are accessible, that are supported, that you know, we make like training and literacy training as accessible and free as possible, but nonetheless require people that if you want to stream on Twitch, you need to pass a test that shows you know what the Canadian Charter is and what it means, or that you have basic understanding of tort law and what tort law is and why you can't libel and slander. I- I'm getting ridiculous, but to what extent, you know, does should a society mandate such responsibilities rather than what we've been doing, which is just kind of trust that people will figure it out on their own or bake it into some terms of service that no one reads or understands? Although, again, I will give credit to Twitch. Twitch goes out of their way to communicate their terms of service to their users because they are so punitive in enforcing it that they want people to fully understand it because yeah. they are brutal in terms of how they enforce it. I think you're exactly right. Um, that's exactly what it comes down to. It's understand, like having a common understanding of what's right, what's wrong, what works and how it works. That meet the literacy. That we, we shouldn't be having kids after grade eight or even uh, grade school not understand this stuff. It, it goes back to the, the learn, the, you know, the, this is what we, the way we needed to make everybody be able to read and write. This is the, this is the way the world is now. It is part of reading and writing to understand how media works and who's selling you what and, you know, how to behave online and, and who's accountable and, and what you're accountable for. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, oh, just on a, on the note of, uh, I, you, you, you always should regret things you've said before because that's how you grow as a person, right? Like you bound right. <laughs> When I'm, I'm going to be calling you when I'm under fire years from now for my <laughs> Blame it on me. Blame uh, it on, it's all well, my this fault. This guy, Stro1, call him. Um, <laughs> Fine, you know, 
I think there's a literacy piece and, and Jesse, you and I have talked about this. I think the burden on the individual is still a little bit too high, right? So um, if there's something public that benefits the public that we should be investing in more formally to signal a particular digital literacy, maybe credentializing some of that uh, knowledge is, is an interesting pathway to consider, but it doesn't change the fact that we under-regulate our online lives so much, right? Um, for some reason, I wanted to give an example with like cigarettes or cars. It's not a great example. Um, yeah, I can't, I don't have a great analogy. Now we're joking about getting in trouble in the future. It's just like, I don't want to give an example that doesn't actually make any sense. Um, <laughs> but I think we should focus on intervening to improve um, material and structures and business structures online in, in concert with, you know, supporting people as they experience the internet and 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 their lives. I mean, the question is, in the future, where's you, you said the, the attention economy? Well, where's the class action lawsuit going to be for, you know, someone who lost their adolescence because they were on Twitch mm -hmm. for seven years? Mm -hmm. Okay, is that the individual? Is it the pure individual burden? Is it family? Is it the company that did such a good job capturing this person's attention that they didn't make other friends, didn't eat healthy, you know, didn't discover themselves? Like, I think we're gonna start to see these kinds of questions and resentment around attention allocation and time that we've right now normalized. And again, just, just sort of blow off on individuals that that's someone's choice or yeah. they just love scrolling on Instagram and it's like, actually you know with the data too like is there not danger zones that we're in or um you know a bartender cannot overserve me though i'd love i'd love to see a bartender sometime soon you know what i mean but like <laughs> they can't, can't overserve me but like again i have my own instagram my husband lets me go on his now and then <laughs> and you know, who's like, who's accountable when I cannot stop scrolling? Like, that's yeah. why I don't have it because I have the kind of personality that will be catatonic and shopping online. So like, actually, definitely don't go near TikTok then because, you know, no. TikTok has perfected yeah. those dopamine hits. Yeah. And, and I actually do think what you're describing, the cigarette analogy is apt because we have to remember that doctors recommended cigarettes. And it's mm -hmm. not that doctors were more corrupt then than they are now. It's that the science then didn't understand it or that the cigarette companies suppressed that science. So the rest of society didn't know. And I think to your point, we're going to say, see the same analogy with mental health, that yeah. our understanding of mental health is maturing. I think we're going to reach a point in which we can look back and look at the way in which the dopamine hits and the design of social media very much had huge and profound negative mental health care. We might even call it a pandemic, right? It it, it, it might get to that level. And I, 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 there may not be class action lawsuits because Facebook will be the judiciary at that point. But I do think that there's going to be a similar day of reckoning where we sort of wonder, you know, how did this happen and why and how come we didn't see it at the time? Yeah. But in, in, in closing us off, I, I want to kind of bring it back to, to what I feel are two sides of the same coin, which is on the one hand, we're trying to normalize the concept of regulation mm. because it's as if we spent an entire generation 
treating regulation as worse than tabernacle in terms of a swear word and no one would say it and no one wanted to hear it and we just put our heads in the sand and government suffered as a result. Government's ability to regulate suffered as a result and the public's ability to use regulation to serve community, to empower community, to, to fight back against the concentration of power, that was a huge mistake. Thankfully, we're, we're figuring that out and we're getting back to regulation, we're getting there. And then I think the other piece of the same side is the capacity to regulate. Yeah. So that when now that we're like, okay, regulation's not a bad word, now we gotta pack that tickle trunk. And we got to make sure that the things we put into that tickle trunk allow us to deal with the crises and challenges that we're facing moving forward. And, and that's not going to happen quickly, even though we want it to happen quickly. But that both of those kind of give me courage. Stro, were you trying to yeah, jump in? Yeah, just, you know, we need a toolbox, not a tickle trunk. To deal, deal with it. <laughs> or both because i think costumes are yeah. part of this but it, you know it, it does come down to regulate why is regulation a bad thing like we have laws for a reason it's to make everybody well right like it's to make society well so that we know how to navigate you know that's why that's why the holy books are there that's why laws are there it's to 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 have a co community uh, heading somewhere that's safe like so we're you know so we're protecting our species that includes protecting our environment that includes all these things that you know are becoming a part of the conversation that's why the conversations are so important to spread the understanding right it, it has to come from somewhere so there's just really one law is my freedom ends where your nose begins right so that we can coexist in, in a benevolent and prosperous way and that's why we need to defund the police defund big big data um and that doesn't mean abolish that means spread the wealth right and again i know, I know i'm not as you know versed uh, on these topics i'm going meta with it all because i'm just learning about it right like uh, and thinking about it because of the conversations uh but definitely it's the same it's the same it's the principles that we need from our our governments or whoever the policymakers are if it's facebook or who ever but somebody needs to be accountable for how this world and the humans and the beings in it get along hmm. fast do you want to take us out any last words or thoughts um i guess i'm for the tickle trunk i'm just kidding i mean <laughs> new tools right let's rummage around and like be creative together and and it's okay for governments to be vulnerable and say that they're not sure um, or that they don't have the tool that they need. I think it's much more dangerous to pretend that we are ready to go and we're gonna just be imposing these taxes. Um, that's the kind of deception that I think technology companies have been serving us to. That's me. Well said, well said.